Welcome to the Base Path Podcast brought to you by New England Baseball Journal. I'm your host, Dan Guttenplan. We have two guests from Nor'easter's Baseball in studio today. Nor'easter's founder, Tim Dano, and operations coordinator, Matt Feld. Matt also covers all the biggest games in Massachusetts high school baseball for the Boston Herald. So he'll size up the top teams and players heading into the MIA State Tournament. Guys, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having Thanks. us. Thank you. Matt, I saw your updated top 10 list earlier this week. That was a few days ago, so it's probably changed a little bit in the meantime. But the one uh, team that has held steady all year, Austin Prep, they opened the season with a win against Milton, and they've been you know number one all year. They're still undefeated. What do you think makes them so good this year, and what have you seen when you've gotten out to see them? I think pretty consistently what you see across the, the top teams in Massachusetts from a high school baseball standpoint is the best teams are always athletic. Austin Prep's got great athleticism across the diamond. They've got guys that can play multiple positions, uh, third base, shortstop, center field, second base, up the middle. They're very interchangeable. Their catcher, Matt is probably the best athlete that you'll have behind the plate in Massachusetts this year. And they're loaded with arms. I mean, Evan Blanco from the left side is arguably the best pl- pitcher, not just in Massachusetts, but in the region. I mean, 90 to 92 from the left side with a hard slider. Jake Zawatsky, sophomore who emerged last year as a freshman and pitched in big games from last year, who's continued his success this year. Uh, Jack Inabelli, who's going to Stonehill next year. So they've got arms and they've got great athletes all over the field. So they're very versatile and they can beat you in a multitude of ways. Yeah, then Medfield is also, you know, up in the top five of pretty much everybody's ranking. I don't know where you have them. Uh, but it seems like this year there's a lot of D2, D3 teams in the mix uh, in those top five spots, um, which I don't know if that surprises you or not. Does that surprise you? I really just don't think when it comes to baseball, divisions really matter. I mean, unlike football, the roster sizes are already much downgraded and much smaller. So in football, you might say have 70, 80 kids on a Division one roster and then 15, 20, 25 kids on a Division three or four roster. In baseball, your roster sizes are already that small. So I think it's more about the group that you have, the foundation you've built, the program that you have. Teams like Medfield that have Jack Goodman to, to spearhead their lineup and play for them at shortstop at such a high level, it doesn't matter what division they are. They already have a few great players carrying with them. Taconics in Division Three. Also, they've got Matt Lee, who's going to go to pitch at Kansas State next year. It doesn't matter that they're Division Three. They've got a Division One arm that can pitch with anyone at any moment at any time. So I'm not overly surprised because I think in baseball, more than other sports that maybe require bigger rosters, there's the chance for a lot more up-and-coming programs to assert themselves as long as they've got the right mindset and the right culture. Yeah, it seems like every time I look at your Twitter in the beginning of the day, you're kind of tweeting out which game you're covering. I'm like, man, he's just seeing the best pitchers (laughs) every day. It's, you know, St. Mary's of Lynn with Avon Cabral and, you know, just guys like that, one after the other. Who are some of the uh, top pitchers that, obviously, Evan Blanco, like you said, left side, 92, but... Who are some of the other pitchers that might, may have surprised you a little bit this year? I think Tommy Sullivan, who's a right-hander at Plymouth South. Uh, Sullivan's having a tremendous year. He's pitched 29 in a third innings, hasn't let up a run. He's got eight walks and 45 strikeouts. I don't really care who you're playing, and Plymouth South certainly plays good competition in the Patriot League, and they played, I think, Wellesley non-conference. But if you're striking out 48-5 and walking eight as a high school arm, that's, that's pretty rare around here. Charlie Walker, who's at Milton, um, you know, he's just such a great competitor beyond just the stuff that he has from 84 to 87 miles an hour, commands the breaking ball, his changeup. He's just a competitor. He's going to grind it out, and he went toe-to-toe with Evan Blanco at Austin Prep um, for the entirety of their two outings. Braden Gray's at Chelmsford, same similar deal to Walker in terms of his compete on the mound and someone who's also blossomed uh, into an ace. So I think there's a number of, of really good arms across Massachusetts, and I think consistently what you find in the Northeast is there are a number of great pitchers, and that's because they get used to pitching in the cold. They get used to having to develop their arms later than others down south. 
South or on the West Coast. So they learned how to compete. They learned how to overcome adversity because they have to overcome elements that other people and other players in other parts of the country don't have to overcome. Right. And, the, uh, you know, we always rank the team's top 10, um, you know, one to 10. We do it, too, at New England Baseball Journal. But it's it's a me- like they're not going to all face off in the state championship. There's no Super 8 anymore. What, what are your feelings about that, that, you know, these cha- these teams won't get a chance to kind of battle it out and figure out, you know, who ends up number one in the top 10? I think it's wildly disappointing. I thought the Super 8 tournament was outstanding. I thought it was awesome for interest when it came to high school baseball. I thought it generated a ton of excitement. I think if you ask the teams that participated in the tournament, they would say it was an outstanding experience. You were facing teams that you never otherwise would have. Belmont played in the Super 8 in 2017 and had great players like Cal Cristofori, who ended up being a great catcher at Yale. Nate Espelin, who go pit, went and pitched in Dayton. Max Meyer, who went to Stanford. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, North Andover won the Super 8. They had Sebastian Keene, who was drafted by the Red Sox and is now starring at Northeastern. Jake McElroy, who ended up being a college athlete also. Uh, and, I, and I think it's elevated programs and given programs a reason to strive for something beyond just winning a state championship. I mean, only one team wins the state championship every year. Everyone else goes home upset. But if you've got a chance to put a Super 8 banner up, that you've got a chance to play with the best, whether you're Division 1, Division 2, II, Division 3, Division 4, those are new things and new goals for programs to strive for, and it made people want to compete with the best during the regular season. Right. Yeah, and I think Austin Prep would love that opportunity <laughs> this year to play against those top teams. Um, all right, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who are what are your state championship predictions for each of the four divisions? I think Franklin's the best team in Division One. I, I think I thought coming into the year they were the most complete team. I think Central Catholic's as deep as anyone on the mound from a pitching standpoint. But I think Franklin's lineup is just so impressive. Ryan Garrity kind of leads the way for them. He's going to Northeastern, has a tremendous glove in center field, is very athletic. Uh, and I just think when you go one to nine in their lineup, Zach Brown consistently his teams are outstanding two-strike hitters, and they've got great power to the opposite field, and I just think they know how to play the game the right way. So I think Franklin's probably going to win in Division One. Uh, in Division Two, I think St. Mary's is going to win again. Uh, you know, I think a lot of people are looking at Milton, and I think Milton's got as good a chance as anyone. But Aben Cabral gets to pitch three of the five games in the state tournament, and that means you just have to find a way to win two other games. I think in Division Three, I think it's going to be a rematch of the state championship of last year. I think Medfield, having been in that spot last year, they had a lead in the sixth inning against the Taconic. Let it get away from them. A lot of those key guys are back. I think having been there before is going to propel them this time around. I think Division Three is going to be awesome. I think it's going to be a great tournament uh, up and down the board. I think it's going to be incredibly exciting, and I think uh, at the end of the day, Medfield's going to come out on top. Yeah, they're so yeah, they're really strong. Uh, and Jack Goodman, like you said, you know he's head and shoulders above everybody else. Um, and in terms of uh, uncommitted players, you know, I don't know if you're if, if there are any guys on your radar that you see that you just say, I don't know why this guy doesn't have an offer or hasn't accepted an offer yet. Are you referring to just seniors or underclassmen? Uh, any, yeah, any, yeah, any any class. I think Matt Keene at BC High is a, is a starter. He's going to Deerfield Academy next year. And I think because of COVID with the backlog with recruiting, a lot of kids are having to repeat or, or do a postgraduate year. So I think that's becoming more and more common. But he's never going to really value with his stuff, at least in the outings that I've seen. But again, someone who takes the ball every single time out there and competes against every single lineup. It might be five innings, two runs, but you know he's going to do everything he can to keep your team in the game. And when you play a schedule like BC High does, uh, that's very impressive. I think if you're looking at underclassmen, I mentioned Jake Zawatsky earlier, but he's only a sophomore. He's going to get plenty of attention. Evan Ventura is a right-hander at Reading uh, who throws in the upper 80s. He's coming off an arm injury from last year, but so as a result, didn't get a pitch a, a ton his sophomore season, but it has been uh, outstanding on the mound this time around out of the bullpen for Reading, and I think he's going to be an arm that catches a lot of people's attentions come the tournament uh, because a lot of arms out there don't have the velocity from the right side that Evan does. And Tim, a lot of these guys uh, that were getting mentioned, they're they Nor'easters guys. And um, 
it's only been in the last few years that you've kind of made the transition to having high school guys within the program. What was the inspiration behind, uh, you know, having high school guys in your program and what was, what was that process like? Yeah, I think we always really wanted to incorporate high school ages. It was really just having the resources. Um, so the, the real motivation behind it was we were losing players um, that thought they needed to go elsewhere because they always think about the next level, and that would be college baseball or whatever their their intention is of you know bigger picture stuff. Uh, with that being said, switching over to the the uh, high school level teams, we, we it really takes a commitment. If you're going to do it right, you got to make sure that you make the right resources. You have the right people put in place and. So that started when we hired Kevin Barnaby, who's our recruiting coordinator, and he's done such a great job making sure that, A, from a technical standpoint, a development standpoint, that our kids are really getting everything that they need in terms of development. And then also from a contacts of college coaches, making sure that it's not as easy as just you know rolling guys out there going to tournaments. It's getting on the phone. It's creating um, communications with college coaches, relationships, and, and trust and uh, Kevin's spearheaded that uh, up, and that's really the reason why we did is we we realized that we wanted to really see our our players go from nine U little kids who were really just teaching the fundamentals of the game to full grown athletes that are making you know making their dreams come true and committing to colleges, and so that was the inspiration is really to be a beginning to end solution for these kids, and and um, to do it we had to do it right, and that's what, what we think we're doing right now. Yeah, because it's two very different goals when you think about it. Like 9 to 14, it's all about development. Mm -hmm. And then when the guys get to high school, they want to be seen at all these huge tournaments. They want to be at the perfect game events. They want um, And they want college contacts. What did you have to um, – and, and they want the technology too. You know, They want to know how hard they're throwing. So what uh, changes did you have to make to the program or what did you have to add when you decided to make that transition? Well, first we had to make sure that our, our – talent levels were correct right and um you know we've always developed in-house and we've we've we try not to go out and recruit players outside of the program i mean again if people come naturally that's something that's happened but we really wanted to focus on loyalty staying within our program um and and honestly what had to happen is, is these players that we had from a young age um getting them through the 12U, 13U season, teaching them the mental side of the game, the physical side. Then when they became of high school age, we really had something. So that's really what took us so long to build this thing was we were doing, we did it organically. We didn't just try to go out and recruit players at 15 that weren't part of our program. We, we organically did it. Um, and so it, we really needed to make a focus on, um, you know, development like you said so investing in technology into hit tracks into rap soda to understanding data to to high def cameras to to all the little things that we need to do to make sure that we're giving our players an edge to, to play at the next level and if they're not being able to have honest conversations as to the why and i think that's that's been a big part of um the growth in our program is really being able to tell the why tell the story of and 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 promote our players. Now, do you ever find, I, I've talked to other coaches who are or program directors, founders, who say that sometimes the kids get a little too obsessed with the technology and, you know, it's all about, hey, I want to see my velo or um, my exit velocity, you know, those types of things. And they're not situational hitters or, you know, defense will suffer. Have you seen any trends in that direction? Uh, yeah. Yeah, honestly, I, like, I think just like anything else is, there's a pendulum swing and it can go one way to the left and it can go too much to the right. Um, 
the bottom line is, is it's really just to be a tool and to be a resource. So, you know, um, we like to be able to show abstract, you know, reasons as to what's going on. You know, like we use our blast motion devices to basically see swing design and, and we'll talk about it, but we're not going to obsess about it because I think the thing that many people do in this industry and, and, and it goes to parents, players, coaches is focus so much on the physical side. We forget that this is a very mental game. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think we take pieces of that information and we show the why, and then we kind of push it away and we really try to not really fixate on it. Now, obviously when you got kids coming in from the high school level, the first cage they want to go into is hit tracks. They want to see how far they can hit it, what their exit velocities are. I do think it does really help create an environment where they're competing, where they're always trying to get personal best. And I think that's, I think that's very important. But I think also there's that element of we got to put it away and we got to know how to hit with two strikes and we got to know that in this situation we need to be able to do that. And I think, honestly, that's some of the stuff that's lost in in um, in development. I think that's an issue in the uh, travel world right now is that um, we're really teaching players, you know, we're really so focused on development because we want their personal success. Um, but sometimes we lose that little touch of how to how – to, hit and run do all those little things so i think keeping being mindful of that that's something that we're really trying to really work on we've seen that you know in in as part of the technology swing is we don't want to be obsessed with it but we want to make sure that we do use it to the advantage of our players and their development and now when you made the transition and and now the high school guys all want the offers they want to make college commitments they want to play beyond high school um and you said you had to establish those contacts and those relationships what is the process like if you if say you have a, an individual who's you know 15 years old and he says hey I want to play college baseball do you sit down with them and say hey let's take a take a look at your grades let's take a look at your schools you're interested in or what is that process like well the process in general is different for every kid right because everyone's going to have a different starting point so that's that's the first part is just having open communication so for our national team kids kids that are you know higher level um, prospects We'll, we'll sit down with each one of them in a, in a parent environment. We'll get the parent in the room. We'll talk about the things that matter. Um, and, and it's not just baseball because, you know, let's be honest, most kids are not going to play professional baseball. We want to give the tools that, that allow them, if that is their goal and their dream, to do so. But the reality is, is they're going to do something else. So we want to make sure that we, we have honest conversations and we set them up to think about their future. So we'll sit down and talk about athletics and the athletic ability, excuse me, and then also their academics and what, what, what interests them. And if you ever talk to a 15 year old kid, I mean, I can't, I can tell you, I don't even know what I want to do. Right. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's, it's, we really just try to get their brain thinking because like in the game of baseball, when things speed up, you make mistakes and you do things that you wouldn't do. So we try to get them to start thinking so that it slows down so that when things start to roll, um, you know, it, they're prepared for that process. So we, we meet with everybody and then we, we really kind of bring in college coaches during the, the fall seasons and, um, you know, we'll have them evaluate cause it's good to get some, some evaluation from outsiders, not just us. Cause we, we obviously have biases cause we've seen our kids and it's good to hear their feedback. And then when we come to the winter time, we really go into a big, um, you know, development plan where we just shut everything down and it's, it's, it's time to focus on our weaknesses. And then it's, you know, it's time to send them off to high school, get them ready for the high schools. And so that's really how we start our programming. That's, um, 
And that, that it all begins at the 15 year old level. And but some kids, it's going to be a conversation of, you know, hey, Virginia Tech wants to talk to you today, Vanderbilt, blah, blah. And some guys, it's like, hey, just focus on development. At the end of the day, we try to keep them true to just focusing on their development, control what they can control. And from there, things will happen for them. The Base Path Podcast will be back after these messages. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division One, Two, II, and Three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com. Just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Matt, I, I saw a funny tweet from you. It was probably a month or two ago. It was a high school coach saying he got a call from a college coach, and the college coach said, hey, can you give me a name of, like, three guys who are really good at cleaning up the dugout at the end of games? And you were like, it's just ridiculous that we're trying to pass that, pass that off as where the recruiting conversation would start. So you're, you're not familiar with that conversation? You've never had a conversation like that? I think the point more so that I was trying to make is that, make is that when a coach goes and watches a team or, or a kid play specifically, and I think, you know, as Coach Dana would, would tell you, you know, when, when we're talking about top prospects, coaches are not just blindly canvassing the area to hope to find someone, right? They're going to watch a Raymond Velasquez play because they know that he's got the chance to play at a school like Vanderbilt. Coaches are going to watch the talent, and then when they recognize that someone's got the ability to play with them, they invite you to their camp, they invite you to their school, they go in the dugout, they talk with you, and then they ensure that your your character as an individual aligns with their values so that when you show up on campus, you can be as talented as you want, but if you don't have the character, the personality, the generosity, the empathy that they're looking for that's made them the program what they are, they're not going to take you. But what catches a coach's eye is whether or not you can hit a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, whether you can hit a breaking ball to right center field, whether you can, can control the strike zone at the plate, on the mound if you can repeat your mechanics, if you've got a fast arm, if you, get repeat, if you have um, the ability late in games to still maintain all of your pitches. And so what I was trying to get at was it's pretty ridiculous to hear sometimes individuals try to blow up the recruiting process as, oh, as long as you're a great teammate, you'll get an offer. That's certainly a big component of it in the aspect of that's what's going to seal the deal at the end of the day. But you have to be able to play if you want to be able to play. Right. I agree with you. Yeah, it starts with the 90 mile an hour fastball and then, you know, the cleaning the dugout. You probably pretty 
pretty low on the list of things, but it's a nice plus, you know. I, I have seen coaches walk away on it, though. I'm not. Gonna Is that lie. right? No yeah. doubt. Yeah, yeah. I guess no it doubt. could be a deal yeah, breaker. It, it can be a deal breaker, but it's certainly, like you said, coaches' jobs are to win and to bring <laughs> talent in. And if that kid can help you win, you got to determine, you know. Is it is it a culture thing there? Would he be picking up at my school? So there's there's things that go into that, but surely we want our kids being the ones picking up. Like, you know, we we have conversations with all of our kids about what we expect. Because um, again, you all you got to do is give a coach one reason why not to take you. There's so much talent out there. We want we want to be on the good side of the separators. Well, one thing I'd just like to add is one thing that I think that both Tim and and Kevin do really well is creating a culture of winning and winning doesn't necessarily mean what the scoreboard says winning as an individual, right? So cleaning up the dugout, being a good teammate, cleaning up the batting cage after you hit in there, that, that should be a given. And that's the type of culture that Tim and Kevin try and create where it is a given at Nor'easters that you do those things. That's, that's what's expected of you. You don't get extra credit for doing that. You should be expected every day to come to the facility, come to the organization when you wear the Nor'easters uniform and already have those values instilled in you because you've been taught to do that by our instructors. Yeah, I mean, that's the that's the bare minimum. It starts, you know, you can start with that and then, you know, you can't always be a Division One college baseball player, but you can always, you know, clean up after yourself and be a good teammate. That's, a, that's an important message. Um, speaking of college baseball, who are the guys from the Northeast that uh, you guys are tracking that are having really good seasons, either – on New England teams or outside the region? Well, I'll talk about some of our guys that I know of, and, and Matt can, can jump in some other guys. Obviously, you know, we had Jonathan Santucci from Duke right now. In the month of April, he, he was, you know, led the ACC in uh, earned runs uh, 0.57 or whatever it was, something ridiculous. I think opposing hitters were batting 118 off of him. An electric arm, he's a two way player. Um, Great kid, um, great family. So he's he's had great success. I mean, you've had it, you've had so many players. Sean Sullivan, a former player of ours, he played at thirteen. He went on to a different program, but he went to Northwestern, and um, he was a Big Ten pitcher of the of the week, a Big Ten player of the week. Um, you're seeing these guys just jump right in. L.J. Keevan out of Lowell, um, who's really kind of been the front end of their rotation guys going in there. He's just a competitor on the mound. He's he's also won um, America East Pitcher of the Week. Uh, Brandon Fish, who's also at Lowell, who's with us, America East Player of the Week and Rookie of the Week. Um, got guys like Jack Penny, who um, outstanding um, player at, at, at Notre Dame. Um, batting 300 right now for Notre Dame when he gets his opportunities. Um, there's a lot of guys. Dom Keegan, obviously from from the shows program, uh, he's done a great job at Vanderbilt and, and you know coming in as a catcher this year, getting more innings behind the plate and still batting, I think 390 or something like that. The last time I checked. So there's some serious players making some serious impacts um, in, in in on the New England in the New England area. Uh, which really excites us. I don't care if they're Nor'easters, if they're Nakona, if they're Show, whoever they are. It's it's really nice to see these kids from New England be able to go in and compete because that's the bottom line. That's why we're all doing this. And um, you know, it's, you got any guys you want to add? I was just going to say that when you look at two players in our program right now who are going to go on to compete very highly at the next level, and Evan Blanco, who's going to Virginia, Ray Velasquez, who's going to Vanderbilt. The two winningest programs in college baseball the last twelve years are Vanderbilt and UVA. The two programs outside of Boston College that are Power 5 programs that recruited the most kids in the Northeast the last 12 years are Vanderbilt and Virginia. 
I, I obviously there is a little bit of coincidence there, but I don't think there's a lot because I think you've got Brian O'Connor at UVA and Tim Corbin from Vanderbilt who value diversity from when it comes to geography and the type of kids that they have on their team. There's a lot of terrific individual talent here that belongs and should be playing across the country, and a couple of the programs have realized that, that are nationally ranked, and the reason they're nationally ranked is because those coaches, conversely, have realized the talent that's up here in the Northeast. Yeah, I had uh, Tim Corbett on the podcast a few months ago, and he, he, you know, he spoke to that. You, know, you get tough players from the Northeast who are used to adversity, adverse conditions of the bad weather, and um, he can relate to him because he's from up here too. So it's uh, it's a good fit for sure for New England guys to go to Vanderbilt. Not everybody can do it, but <laughs> if you can, it's a nice nice option. Now I know Nor- the Nor'easters continue to expand. Uh, you just opened a new facility in Woburn, so you have three now. Um, I think you're up to almost 600 players and you know 50 plus teams. What has that been like for you as as the founder? Like, ha- how stressful has this period been for you? Oh, uh, definitely stressful. Um, you know, honestly, it wasn't supposed to be like that. It was supposed to be. It's something. It was a passion of mine. It was something that, you know, when we started it, it was just really about getting players to the next level, and and it grew organically because we had wonderful coaches, wonderful parents who all wanted to be part of this. And then as we started to see the bigger picture with wanting to do things right, we needed to expand to be able to get in that talent, like we said, for the older ages by combining multiple locations and, and things of that nature. So that that was really what kind of drove this. Um, you know, Obviously, when you got 600 players, that means you have 1,200 parents. Um, which means it's it can be stressful at times. Um, but I think we have such a great relationship with parents, and we're blessed to have some great people, um, you know, to have had some great people and continue to, to have that trend, um, that it makes doing this job so much easier, right? It, it's, it's really enjoyable. As far as expansion, we're always looking to grow. We, 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 we want to. We're hungry. It's just like anyone else who's competitive when, when you – do well somewhere else it's like what's next you know and so we're 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 looking we're looking to you know do things internally expansion it's not just necessarily from a um location standpoint it also is in our own buildings what can we do so we're looking into our pitching labs and 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 designing a brand new pitching lab in our Tuxbury facility and that will be our next line of quote-unquote expansions we could see ourselves going to Connecticut. We could see ourselves going to Rhode Island in the near future. But right now, we're really just focused on making sure that the product is the best product and our kids are getting what we need, uh, what they need out of us. At the high school level, uh, it seems like what the kids want and what they need is uh, they want to be at the big showcase events, the elite ones with the most scouts. I know uh, Perfect Game has the WWBA uh, National Championships, World Championships. I know those are big ones. What are some of the biggest uh, tournaments you'll take players to, and where, where can they get seen by the most scouts? Really, the most important thing to do with kids is be honest and put them in front of the right coaches. Mm-hmm. So if they're a national Division One level talent, then certainly the WWBA in Georgia and the – you know, you follow the coaches, the bottom line, and that's where the coaches go. They go to all sorts of different events. Um, the reality is, is that I think people in this industry, uh, when I say people, I mean parents and kids, they have this thought that you just go to these tournaments and coaches show up. Well, no, they, they go to see players. And they go because coaches have communicated with them. So um, we as a program, try to be realistic with where we put our teams. We understand that not every kid is the same. Um, and, and you know, if I put 
a bunch of kids that are going to go Division three in front of Division one schools, it, it, it's waste of an opportunity for them to, to get into the right situation. Um, so we, we really try to be mindful of that. But on the big picture of things, if we're going to go to you know look at it, Division one players, it's definitely the, the perfect game events are, are, our, are our go-to events. Matt, I saw this morning, I think, uh, or it might have been yesterday, you had a, a tweet about players chirping, um, <laughs> players, maybe coaches even, chirping. And are, that's actually come up a few times on recent podcasts with coaches saying that it's, it's on the rise. You're seeing more and more of it. Um, where are you seeing it, and why do you think it's so much more prevalent now? I see it everywhere. I see it in high school games. Uh, I see it amongst players, coaches. Uh, coaches less so, but of course, but of course players, parents. Um, and I, I don't. I see it at high school games. I see it at AAU games. I see it at AAU basketball games. It, it doesn't really matter the sport. It's just it's just prevalent across the across the way. I think, and I'm not being satirical when I say this. I think COVID, which caused people to kind of be away from from people from one another. I think I see people interacting with one another differently beyond just sporting events in general. But I think it's definitely been almost like animals have been let out of the cage in a lot of respects when it comes to high school kids that that have been maybe dispatched and displaced from the classroom for for a long period of time. But I just think it's like totally ridiculous across the board, and I honestly mean that. I think if you're chirping, more often than not, the team that I see that's chirps the most is very not good. It's almost like they're insecure about their ability, and as a result, the only way to overcome the fact that they've got a bunch of kids who are probably hitting 250 is that they feel like they have to go make a personal attack on the opposing team. I love teams that over-celebrate for their own accomplishments. When coaches get upset when the opposing pitcher gets a big strikeout and runs off the mound and screams and fist pumps... I just like tell that person that you need to get a different hobby because that's what this game's all about. Emotion, passion, competing for your team, finding a way to help your team win. But if you make it a direct personal attack on the opposing team when you're talking about someone's height on the opposing team or someone's sibling's name on the opposing team or their girlfriend or their boyfriend, um, the family of the umpire, that goes beyond the game. And at that point, that's just dirty trash talk. That's not even trash talk. It's again, you're just looking for an insult to make yourself feel relevant while you're there. And again, more often than not, the people doing the chirping are the people that are not playing. So I don't understand how you can chirp someone else on the opposing sideline when you haven't even proven that you can belong on your own sideline. <laughs> so that to me is just what gets me going. Is just I don't think the focus is in the right place. And what's really concerning is that coaches give up their time. They give up hours of their time weekly to help their programs improve. Umpires give up hours of their time to help ensure these games can go on, these competitions can go on. And without those individuals, there are no games to be played. And I just think it's it's unfortunate, and I think it's it's high time that administrators and coaches ensure that people are more respectful towards one another uh, on the playing field. I think that's a great point. And there is an umpire shortage right now, and it's hard to find people who are willing to do it. So, uh, yeah, we've all got to think about it. I like the point that uh, during the pandemic, everybody kind of forgot how to interact with other people. I have a friend who works in customer service. And, you know, that she'll get, she's like, are you listening to the way you're talking to me? I'm a human being. It's a funny, uh, it's a funny time, but hopefully, you know, we'll transition out of this period quickly. Um, well, thank you both. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come down here and come in studio with us. It's been informative to hear about the high school baseball and the direction of the Nor'easter. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you yeah, so thanks much. Thanks for having us. Thanks to Tim Dano and Matt Feld for joining us in person. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, Steve Safran. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production.